But first to a report card uh, on what you might call the world's balance sheet between opportunities and fears. What are the ramifications for the world beyond the US of those latest shenanigans in American politics, as we just heard so well described in this week? Now, we're not in the business of whipping up anxieties, but it's pretty clear from various reports that there is a whiff of genuine fear now influencing people who manage big money around the world. And of course, on behalf of of each of us via our super, superannuation, because there's a reminder really after this week that the political instability in modern America is not being resolved anytime soon. The ING's global head of markets, Chris Turner, summarised the current sentiments nicely. It feels like something's going to snap, but I'm not quite sure what. Well, Professor Robert Bruning joins me now. He's one of Australia's leading public policy economists. Uh, welcome to the program, Bob. Good morning, Geraldine. How would you say that Kevin McCarthy's ousting affected the US and other economies? It's it's beyond the US. That's what I'm trying to test today. It goes um, well beyond the US. Um, And it is, uh, as the the report uh, uh, that you played earlier said, it really is a a kind of exceptional thing to have the the Speaker of the House voted out. This has never happened before uh, in the US. And it you know, there are a couple of big effects. I guess one big effect in the U.S. is that whoever comes in next is going to have to make a deal with uh, this branch of the Republican Party led by Gates um, and Trump that um, is uh, very anti – they claim to be anti-government spending. In reality, they're anti-tax, and usually what they do is they end up running up really big deficits. And um, and then they don't agree to extend uh, the budgetary appropriations that allow the U.S. government to keep functioning. So it's very likely in November November 17th, when the current deal ends, that the U.S. government is going to go through another shutdown. And this is really disruptive for people in the U.S. It's also disruptive for U.S. people overseas. You spoke about the you know the kind of investment environment that that creates in the U.S. with a lot of uncertainty. Um, I think there's only one rating agency that gives the U.S. its top credit rating, and it's likely to lose that. And then, you know, on the world stage, the U.S. is a major player both in the economy but also in national security. Australia benefits tremendously from from world trade, and the U.S. is a real stabilizing factor in the world trading regime. This part of the Republican Party and Gates uh, tend to be very – isolationist, so they don't want to interact with other countries. That spills over onto trade, but it also spills over onto security. They're very likely, um, in order to keep the government going after November 17th, to want to deal where the U.S., for example, stops giving money to Ukraine. Um, They also eventually could say things like, well, maybe we shouldn't be helping Australia with submarine technology. So it really is pretty troubling on a lot of fronts. Yes. I mean, there seem to be um, two strong fears being triggered in the US markets at the moment, that the US budget deficits will make interest rates rise sharply and rather contradictorily, that the higher borrowing costs will cause a recession. Now, th- th- what this fear index, the VIX, the VIX, uh, tell us a bit about that because It's, you know, I mean, things go back and forward always in these, but there did seem to be something this week that was rather more troubling than usual, I thought. Well, I think the, you know, the 
So, so the VIX basically is just tracking kind of uh, in, a, in a sort of positive versus negative way how people are about the future. And, you know, this is a kind of really toxic uh, moment um, in the U.S. And, and, and people like Gates say, oh, you know, the, we want small government. Um, but what they tend to do is they tend not to be very good at eliminating expenditure. They tend to be good at cutting taxes. As you said, that balloons the the deficit and then and then the debt that the US carries currently the US is carrying debt that's over 100% of its GDP and i think they're on target next year for you know some crazy number like a third of the budget to be paid on interest payments on this debt so that's a huge weight on the ability of the government to kind of deliver services to its citizens to to provide for defense um, and it also means what what it does is it it then tra- tends to drive up interest rates and so it makes investment less less favorable. It, it, you know, we worry about crowding out. When governments have big debts, um, they basically get to borrow the money in society first, and that crowds out investment opportunity for other people. So I think a lot of that worry about, about the investment environment is driven by that. But then I think, you know, the, the, you know Gates is a Trump supporter. Um, Trump didn't get involved in trying to stabilize the situation as he could have. But that generally isn't what he what he does. I mean, he he likes to stir up the pot, and he likes the kind of chaos that that ensues. And and you know, a lot of the people who vote for Trump, I I think you have to remember that they're not really concerned about whether the U.S. government is functioning well or not. They're just mad at the system, and this is their way of expressing their anger. Yes, so I actually think this plays into Trump as well, right? But but I'm wondering whether uh, if you start getting, I mean, they're not necessarily going to be following the bond rate, but you see, you're seeing this real flight to bonds, which is what people do when they're worried. And because mm. bonds are sort of seen as effectively as, you know, as good as gold, uh, it's a safety of Whether it might start to frighten even them. So that, that well, I'm interested in your opinion as an American, uh, whether we, we might get to the point where uh, perceptions of chaos start to bother the very people who ought to be bothered, but who seem to have been insouciant so far. Yeah, I, I wish I had some better insight for you on that. But for them, that just might be further evidence that the system is against them, right? And and from the point of global investors, you know, the U.S. remains you – know, the U.S. has this special place because it, it remains the reserve currency. Um, foreigners are happy to hold U.S. bonds. They, they're not worried about the U.S. government defaulting on them. Um, and, you know, I think the risk of that is still very, very low. I don't, I don't think that's a kind of – obvious immediate risk. Um, and there's no other alternative. Um, you know, the Europeans haven't been able to provide uh, a strong alternative. And I'm not sure people are ready to start investing in, uh, you know, government securities backed by China or India. Right. I mean, of course, Janet um, Yellen, the uh, former US, uh, Treasury, U.S. Treasury Secretary now, said she was very optimistic about the U.S. economy's outlook. That was on Tuesday, the same day that McCarthy was ousted. Yeah, look, there are lots of reasons to be optimistic about the U.S. I think the same is in Australia. We see inflation kind of tapering, but we see employment staying strong. And and that suggests that we can kind of have a soft landing, if you will. We can, you know, gradually bring inflation down without a big spike in unemployment, without a recession. That's what we're all hoping for. But events like this make that harder. Look, there are parallels being drawn to events before the GFC and in events in 1987, Black Tuesday, or so, say, a range of people like Society General's uh, Albert Edwards. Is that what you're seeing? 
No, I don't. I don't think so. Here, this is more uh, political instability than kind of systemic financial instability. Um, you know, those other events were, uh, you know, driven by a combination of of the fact that the world financial system is so much more interconnected, but also kind of human creativity and exploiting. Uh, opportunities to make money in the short run that might not make a lot of sense in the long run. Um, and I'm not sure we have a lot of that here. I, I, I guess the bigger fear for me is is more a 1970s kind of scenario where we end up um, with low economic growth, low productivity, and, and yeah, and high inflation. I, I think, you know, and there's it, it, we worried a lot about that a year ago or so. Nobody really talked about it, but it's not clear that we're going to escape that. Um, so you don't see uh, big firms crashing. I mean, in terms of some of the, you know, marker boys of those really, really turbulent times, um, the cost of capital changes dramatically, big firms tend to crash, you know, and as I think one other veteran investor, Howard Mark, said, it's only in times of stress we learn what's wrong with many financial products. So it, it's those sorts of tests. You're not seeing those. No, and, you know, but... but um it's those things can be also very hard to predict, right? So that you know the people who tend to predict those things predict them for ten years and then they get them right at some point because <laughs> it happens. So I, you know, I, but but um, yeah, no, I I think the risks here are uh, are are not so much at that level, but more at this kind of uh, political stability level. And and the risk, you know, the, the risk with Ukraine. If I'm Ukrainian, I'm I'm very nervous waking up this morning. Yes, but but that but that could have all sorts of other implications, which we're going to be examining. You know, in terms of forcing people. People to, um, to to sit around tables together, but we'll see. Look, one very interesting observation I'd like to test with you. I've been uh, watching people like uh, Jeremy Grantham, very you know famous investor, UK investor, and even James Gorman, the Australian man who heads up Morgan Stanley in the in the UK, uh, US, observably referring to the need for unions to become stronger. In both men, particularly Jeremy Grantham, was out here in Australia recently at a big conference, saying he was becoming exceptionally worried about inequality and how it it could upend the very system, you know, the capitalist system that he likes to make money in. And he said out loud, and it was so unusual to hear it, we need stronger unions or maybe we need stronger unions. And James Gorman said it the other day as well, implying that Labor would be repositioning itself. Now, might that be a consequence of all of this? It could be. Um, look, I think I think it's good to be concerned about inequality. Um, what we have seen over the last fifteen years is we have seen an increase in market concentration. So, kind of fewer firms controlling more of the output. Those firms appear to have uh, market power, and it is true that unions um, can play a role in kind of counterbalancing that market power. Um, but there are, I think, other things we need to look at as well. Um, I don't think our tax system in Australia at the moment is doing a very good job of addressing inequality. We, you know, we kind of tax the kind of middle class working person very heavily through our personal income tax and GST. But you know, we have a lot of wealth in in housing and in superannuation that we probably don't tax well enough, and 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 that's contributing to inequality. And I also think you know, there's. There's there's a regulatory um, story. The regulatory burden on firms has really increased in the last 15 years, and and firms exploit that. Once you know how to manage the regulatory structure, you can use it to to keep out competition. 
Um, and maybe the Qatar Qantas uh, example is a good example of that. Um, that you know, an incumbent firm that really understands the regulatory structure and is well connected can um, can get the regulator to do things that actually increase their market position. So, you know, tax has got to be a part of thinking about this. I think regulation has to be a part of thinking about it. I guess the you know the downside of of unions thinking about it is unions tend to. Uh, work very hard for their members and for people who have a job, but they're not necessarily um, working hard for the people who don't have a job or for the people who might want to be entering into the system. Um, so we often see unions you know, asking for like more regulation on employment and stopping certain forms of work. But, you know, gig work can be a really good way for people to get into the labor market and make some money. So, uh, you know, overall then, Bob, it sounds to me as if you're relatively sanguine. You're, you're unlike people like, you know, Bob Almeida. I sort of collect these very interesting sort of um, quotes. He's a, a global investment strategist. His golden rule about crises, generally you don't see the bullet coming. Now, you're not really in that vein, are you? You're saying, but, calm but down. Maybe I've, just, maybe I've just turned in the wrong direction and the bullet's <laughs> coming behind me and I'm not seeing it. I, you know, look, I, well, because I'm, and, and I'm not sure it's, you know, I, I guess... Um, you know, in Australia, uh, at least, you know, I think policymakers need to kind of stay calm and do do the right policy for the long term. Um, and and I'm not sure, uh, you know, freaking out and creating a sense of crisis is actually the the right response in this case. And you know, the the global economy is very resilient. I mean, we have had we are in a position of very strong employment. We've had we've had really good post COVID uh, rebound in most countries around the world. China actually is has seems like it's doing better than it was a year ago, which is good for Australia. No, so only, I only see, just. I see that's a, a positive. That's a pretty recent development, the China one you're describing, because it certainly hasn't. Yeah, been. but it's a turn in the right direction for us, right, and for them. Uh, all right. Well, look, Bob, that's very good. We we're not in the business of creating panic. So thank you very much indeed for your time. Uh, it, it's good to hear somebody just, as I said, sanguine. Not exactly that's optimistic. Thanks, <laughs> bye-bye. <laughs> okay, bye. Professor Bob Bruning, who's uh, Director of the Tax and Transfer Policy Institute at the Crawford School of Public Policy at the ANU. And thank you for your text coming in, a range of responses. Well, up next, changing minds in heated debates. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.